Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Ocean Protect podcast, talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect, committed to change. Let's just go back to, to the fish. And we talked about, we sorry, you talked about the fact that your job is to go down and untangle, get rid of the, uh, can we call it bycatch? Because I suppose it is. Yeah, yes, bycatch. So you go down and then do you have to do the nets up and, and do all that stuff and, and right, you've done your job. Do you know any percentages on out of the 50,000 salmon in one pen, how many, you know, how many are good for production and how many are not? A hundred percent of the salmon is good for production because if it's not good for human consumption, it will be good for animal consumption. So all these corpses that we will pick up daily, uh, they will be going into a grinder and that will be uh, sold as pet food. So a hundred percent of the salmon that is farmed is going to be useful for the salmon farm industry, but not a hundred percent goes onto a table. I don't have the number, and this is many years that I used to work in this industry, so things that might have changed. But I think it was about sixty percent of the salmon going onto table. I might be wrong, wow. Um, wow. but yeah, it was yeah. it was a large amount of fish that would die before reaching the harvesting size. I have to say, I have seen cat food salmon out of a tin. And if you get cat food salmon out of a tin and you line it up to John West salmon, it doesn't look too, too dissimilar. No, you will, you will not because you will be different. It, that's, a, that's a very touchy subject because you, in order to talk about it, you will have to start like analyzing different cans you know, of different brands and then put it next to salmon and, well, you will find other fish in there, not just salmon, you know, because it's not just one species that is being grown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. many of them. Like when we talk about salmon farms, it's not just one type of fish. So, yeah, it might look different. And also you have to, you have to consider that this salmon from salmon farm, the color of the flesh is not the same color as a wild salmon, right? Because of all these um, medicines and antibiotics and hormones that they are pumped with. What you see on a can of pet food um, has to be wildly different. How do you deliver the hormones and antibiotics antibiotics to fish underwater without that then going out into the, the greater ocean? How, can you talk, talk to that at all? 
Yeah, so most of the things is done through food. So the food is given to them as a pellet, as you will see, like a cat food pellet. All right. And this is just sprayed over the water and they will eat it off the surface. Or as, as the food sinks down, they will eat that as well. Some other medicines will be, we will spray this diluted chemical, let's say. And we will spray it on the water for a couple of hours and we will deploy, um, what's the word? Some tarps, some vertical tarps to stop the current of the water. So let's say that I have uh, 40 cages and I have to bathe one cage, one pen at a time. So we will surround this area with tarps that go all the way down to 15, 20 meters from the surface. So then we will, on that water, let's say, as, as we have separated, compartmentalized this area, this water will have a higher concentration of this liquid. And with that, you will treat sea lice and many other diseases that the fish will have. And in the same way, you will administer all these hormones and medicines and bathe. Like you have to literally bathe the salmon because they cannot scrape themselves against different things that they will find in the ocean to get rid of different parasites. So you literally have to make a gigantic bath for salmon and clean them and in the same way feed them. The problem is that out of this food, I think they ate around 30% of what is thrown at them and the rest of the food sinks down to the what? bottom. So what? this is tons of food that is actually made by other fish that were chopped up and dried up and made into pellets. Yeah, and this is the thing that a lot of people don't realize is you feed fish with fish. You, fish, you feed fish fish meal, yep. you know, pump full of antibiotics and hormones and stuff. The r rough ratios, it depends on the fish species, but I think the one I think for salmon is roughly about five kilos of fish meal to produce a kilo of salmon, say roughly. Uh, but then to, to produce five kilos of fish meal, you obviously have to catch a whole bunch of fish. And that has, I think the ratio is generally about nine kilos of fish to create a kilo of fish meal. So you're basically killing 45 kilos of fish or marine life to create one kilo of salmon. People talk about, you know, you did, they do these farms, the agriculture farms, et cetera, for efficiency. And they talk about how it's so much more efficient, but the, it's actually really inefficient. It's crazy. And then you look at the wastage, you know, something like you said, 70% of the food just goes to the bottom and obviously just washes into the ocean. And Not really. Not really. It doesn't wash. It's like it doesn't dilute, you know. It's so where does it go? It sinks to the bottom? Yeah. Okay, so most of the time, most of the time, the salmon farms will be installed. So they have the seafloor below at 100, 150 meters, sometimes 200 meters, the bottom of the ocean, right? But the salmon farm is on the surface and it sinks down to 50 and around that, sometimes a little more. So you drop the food on the surface for the fish, right? And they eat the percentage that they eat. The rest keeps falling down. And as the tide comes and goes, this food can reach four kilometers to the right, four kilometers to the left and all around. And it creates like a sludge, like a mud underwater, okay? So all the plant and all the my, uh, organisms that will be at the bottom that will thrive on the little bit of light that reaches those depths, they won't have that light anymore because they are covered in this uh, mud. So all the area below a salmon farm in four to five kilometers, depending on the depth, it can be up to 10 kilometers around a salmon farm. It would be a barren area. It would be absolutely deserted because everything will be covered oh by the mud that is made of the food that they don't eat. Is there not an increase of 
activity underneath the salmon farm? We're, no. We're talking about all these other... No, there is no increase. It's quite the opposite. And we used to work with ROVs, remote operated vehicles, and this is like a little robot with a camera, sometimes a little mechanical arm to take samples. And we will see these this robots, these this little robots, they will follow us to 50 meters, point at us at, at work, like goes towards places we had to do a job or inspect us while we were doing the job. But these boats, I'm sorry, these robots will go down to 150, 200 meters and we will see the bottom. And, and that's how we'll, we will find sometimes the structures that we have uh, lost and we need to retrieve. But it will show us the, the bottom of the ocean and it will be just mud, just mud, nothing else. Like you cannot see the shape of anything that is leading. Everything is covered by this. Let me get this right. They're feeding them at the top. Yeah. And the, the salmon are basically eating 30% of the food, the medicines, the antibiotics, everything like that. And then the rest of it that's sinking is killing everything that's underneath it. Yeah. So how can that be good for anything? Like, you know, the salmon are eating this stuff and, and absorbing it and it's going all over their skin. And then it's killing everything at the bottom of the ocean. I mean, that just doesn't sound right to me. That's an amount of bycatch that you cannot calculate. Yeah. Because there is no way to for us to have like an appropriate measurement of what could have grown in that area and didn't and how it affects such a large amount of space. 400 meters to a kilometer in the surface was visible, but then underwater it can be five times more. The food and the poop, the fish poop will cover everything so yeah i think maybe where you're thinking jeremy is you're giving the fish this food so how can how can the food kill the other fish but when you think about it you know it's like if i if i i can eat a hamburger for example it won't kill me but if that hamburger like a thousand hamburgers sunk at the bottom of a yeah. of a waterway yeah. it obviously decompose the bacteria eat the eat the uh, burger they'll, 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 in doing so they'll consume the oxygen then you've got the fish poop that'll obviously create what we call yeah. a biological oxygen demand which basically again sucks oxygen out of the uh, water i I actually thought the same as you, Jeremy, but when you think about it a bit more, you can think, yeah, I can uh, understand how it would actually create essentially a dead zone around uh, our farm. Yeah. Loretta, you said where you were down the south of Chile is one of the world's most pristine areas. Well, let's just add that to it. We're killing one of the most pristine areas of, of the whole world. I mean, there's... There's not a lot of good story in this, Lorado. I hope you're a good guy because um, thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> but it's interesting. It's like, uh, mind-blowing. It is, it is mind-blowing. Sorry for the depressing talk. <laughs> but, and sorry, Lorado, how long were you working on these fish farms in, in Chile? Uh, on and off about four, around five years. Oh, wow. And I can say that it's five too many. <laughs> And have you done any work in other fish farms or in other parts of the, of the world, like in Australia, for example? No, I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't deal with the fact that I, I was offered to do here in Australia, but I just can't deal with the fact of how morally wrong it is to be part of it. Like I, I did the time that I did, I had a higher purpose of becoming a commercial diver to later on going into other endeavors that were not harming the environment. That changed in the end. And sorry, just uh, excuse my ignorance, but are the conditions different in Australia relative uh, or yeah. other parts of the world relative to Chile? Yeah, they are way different. They are way different. I have met the commercial divers here and they are usually in a really good health condition. Like back home, it will be very common to see, to go in these little towns and you will see all divers, deaf, cross-eyed or directly blind. 
they need a, a walking aid, a cane or a little, you know, structure. You see a lot of injured people on these little towns and it's all because of the diving that is done on those conditions. And those conditions are, we don't have a lot of safety, like a really high safety measures. So that creates a lot of injury. That doesn't happen here. In here, there is much, much better conditions for divers. Well, I guess what you're saying is it's a human rights situation. I mean, it sounds like people in, in extreme poverty getting forced to mine fish, really. Obviously, they need the money, get down there in awful working conditions. You know, it sounds like something out of Africa trying to find blood diamonds, you know. Yeah, pretty it's, much. It's, 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 pretty much. It sounds like that. On top of that, producing fish that are stressed, full of hormones that are unfit for human consumption, nearly half of it, you know, half of it's, you know, not good enough to give to humans. I mean, it's why we we have the show, Brad, but it's blowing my mind. I'm sure it's blowing yours. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But just obviously these working conditions in, say, Australia and salmon farms are are better. Are the environmental practices, do you know, are they any better here than, say, in Chile? Yeah, Yeah, how many fish are in a pen in Australia? Well, I know that the working conditions are better here, but still they are quite taxing on the body because the dives, to be profitable, they have to be repetitive. And you usually will never do this type of diving. I'm not going to get into the technicalities of, of it, but for recreational purpose, you will never do this type of diving. For any type of scientific research, you will not do this type of diving because it's so damaging on the body. They might have better conditions here than back home or or on any other country, but till the job itself is very destructive on the body. But apart from the human, I guess, health work conditions, what about the health of the fish and the surrounding environment? Yeah, so the structures are pretty much the same. So the damage being done on the environment is pretty much the same. That is staggering. There might be other certifications here that says like, yeah, it's like they are more environmentally aware, but the way they grow salmon here in Norway or in Chile is pretty much the same. The structures are very, very similar and therefore the processes are very, very similar. The amount of bycatch is very similar and the amount of pollution to the seafloor is, is the same thing. No, it's like, it's like driving a car in South Africa or driving a car in Nepal or driving a car in the UK. You, you probably drive in different sides of the road, but the pollution is going to be the same. I'm just reading here that um, most of our salmon farming is done down in Tasmania. Mm, yeah, so yep. So Taz Sal is a big one by memory off the top of my head, yeah. Yeah, cold water and very pristine place <laughs> is what someone needs to, to grow. But then, you know, oh, look, I'm just reading. This is on Syro website of, out, of, out of every single website you'd go. But the practices are still the same. Conditions might be better. But in your opinion, would the same thing be happening? 30% of the, the salmon being eating all the hormones and the food, would that same effect whereby it is essentially killing whatever is underneath the salmon farm, would that be occurring in Tasmania, in your opinion? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I don't, I don't need to be a veterinarian or to check what is the brand of food or the brand of antibiotics or hormones that they are using. But if the process is the same, everything is going to end up on the seafloor. There are ways to, to avoid this pollution, but it will cost so much money that it's just not profitable for a company. And uh, considering that, be it Chile or be it uh, Australia, if the cycle 
for a salmon is six months or a year, you will be doing that no matter the country where you are, depending on the salmon, the type of salmon you want to grow. And you grow it with certain amount of hormones on a certain amount of time to get a certain amount of profit. And uh, these are companies, let's say in Chile, uh, the standards are, we have un- companies that are from Norway doing in Chile what they are not allowed to do in Norway for people to eat that fish all over the world. So I will not be surprised that Australian standards are very low. If you think about it, what's happening in other aspects of taking care of the environment, Australia is quite behind, in, be it in land or in the ocean or in, in many things. Australia is very behind. So I don't think that Tasmanian salmon is going to be any difference. So it's an industry that is so hard to um, keep accountable because everything that is done it's not like you if you live in the city maybe you can drive a couple of hours and go into a poultry farm or you can go into a into a cow's slaughterhouse you cannot just drive out and do an interview on a salmon farm because to get there it will take you days so and if you happen to go there what you see is going to be on the surface it's not much you can see in the surface unless you're taking samples of the food and the um, medicines that is applied to this fish, unless you're taking samples of the seafloor, there's no way for you and I to know what's happening. And for you to do that, you will have to have the permits for it and the technology for it as well. So it's really, really hard to keep this industry accountable for what they do to the environment. Two things there, out of sight, out of mind, and Brad and I in in the stormwater industry People don't care what happens to what they can't see, number one. Number two, I don't think they'd be that happy if Brad and I turned up down to a salmon farm and said, hey, can we <laughs> can we go for a dive and just have a look to see what you're doing? We've got a camera. Uh, yeah, yeah, we've got a camera. I don't. Well, let me, let me know if you go and I'll be your underwater eye. <laughs> Well, it's actually, I think in this country, it might even be illegal to do that. Like, we, Jeremy, in all seriousness, if we wanted to rock up to one of these locations and film, it's actually illegal and we'd be thrown in jail. What, why? Well, they've clearly got secrets to keep. It's like Paul McCartney says, if, if, if slaughterhouses had glass windows, everyone would be a vegetarian. And I know in many parts of the world, most countries, is that it is illegal to film animal and fish farming practices. And the reason being is because it's so disgustingly unethical and gruesome and just backward. They just don't want that story to be told. They want you to think they're, they're, they're di- dipping their fishing line in the water and catching something. I guess that was my next question. Actually, how do you catch fish and like how do you catch salmon in the wild? Is it is it just commercial fishnets and and long lines? Is that generally how they're caught in in the ocean? Well, I didn't do that. I used to catch fish when I was a kid in in the river or in the shoreline. In the ocean, in any target species, usually will be done by a big boat with a net that will cast for kilometers, and they will have heavy weights, heavy rolling pins in certain. Parts part of this net and these rolling pins will be going through the seafloor destroying all these ancient corals and catching whales and dolphins as bycatch turtles so it, it doesn't matter if it's tuna or sardine or salmon the, the method of catching fish is going to be damaging to the environment whilst we're focusing on how bad you know salmon aquaculture farms might be the alternative is actually like the alternative if you still want to eat salmon is horrendous as well yeah, exactly. There's not really, I mean, you can get the, the one way that you will be able to cut 
any fish without generating such a massive impact in the ocean will be spearfishing, which I advocate against, but I can acknowledge that is the one that causes the less harm, okay? Because you just go down and you shoot one fish and that's what you take home and you eat. And you know that you have not caught a turtle in your net, you have not caught uh, dolphins or whales or destroyed corals, you just took one fish. Still, you're taking one fish out instead of putting any back in. You're not putting back any, you're not doing a favor to the ocean. But the one that causes less bycatch and less, and that doesn't cause, cause any pollution will be spear fishing. Any other method, if you happen to be a shore fisherman, like you just go on the rocks and cast your line or cast your net, uh, more often than not, will end up this polluting the ocean as well. Sometimes your, your, your hook will get caught in a rock and you will have to cut the line. This line will go to be eaten by a turtle. I volunteer for Australian Civil Rescue and Every turtle that we get out of the water, it has fishing line and it has fishing hooks and sometimes lure and sinker inside their, inside their tract, right? The digestive tract. And so the thing is like, there is no really a way to get fish that you don't harm the environment nowadays. Like the sustainability, just, just sustainability as, as a word when it comes to fishing or seafood, susten sustainable seafood, it's a fantasy. It's a fantasy that people keep telling themselves and media keep telling you so they can keep selling more, but there is not one method that gets fish and does a good thing to the ocean. It's always a harm. It's going to be a big harm or a small harm, but it's always a harm to the ocean. It's funny you mentioned Australian Seabird Rescue. Like Jeremy and myself when visited the facility just near Ballina about a year and a half ago, and they do wonderful work. And actually, that's actually probably one of our next uh, couple of podcast guests is a lady from Australian Seabird Rescue. So, and look, that, but that's I'll save that conversation for another time. But yeah. one final question I had for you because we do need to land this plane is you mentioned the food and how, like, obviously people see salmon in the shop that's pink in color, but in the food that you give them, it's not actually. The flesh wouldn't be naturally pink by by virtue of the, the food that's provided to them in these farms. So how do you actually make the salmon flesh pink? All right. So you know how um, when you go to a supermarket and you buy beef, the beef, they tell you that it has B12. The B12 is administered to cattle through the, the food, you know, that they are going to inject or give it in, in the feed. With fish, it happens the same. So as this fish doesn't have a natural behavior, this fish will never have the taste or the texture of a fish who, who did have those, that privilege. So they have to modify that. The color, the smell, and the taste uh, has to be modified with what they put in the food. So that is something for each salmon farm to, to work out of what type of feed they're going to put more or less. But it's something that is just not natural. Like you're, you're not eating just fish. You're eating fish and hormones and antibiotics. <laughs> and something is going in there for the color and something is going in there for the smell and for the flavor, definitely. We, we probably need to wrap this up. It's, this has well, been a absolutely fascinating chat. Sorry, Jeremy, you were going to say something? Well, I, I, I mean, this is the good thing about having a chat. Let's get Adrian Gutteridge, Dr. Adrian Gutteridge, back on the show and say why are they not addressing this? If, if we're all, everyone in the whole world is eating, you know, farmed salmon and there's no governance in it, what are we going to do? 
But look, I, I think I think we we it's not just about sort of telling a story and highlighting the problem. So, well, what are the solutions here, Latara? I think all the listeners are probably sitting back and just taking this all in and are, uh, probably like us, quite shocked with the the stories that you've told and the messages that you've provided and uh, just some of the insight that you've given. But what is your key recommendation to the everyday listener who's uh, listening in and wondering what to do now? Just don't eat fish because it's more it's beyond the taste. It has social implications, it has environmental implications. I remember quite often about this woman back from back home who had uh, four kids and was one husband, three kids grew up to be divers like their dad and they died in the salmon farms. The only kid that was left alive still wanted to become a, a commercial diver because there was no other option because of what these salmon farms have done to his town. And, and this happened all over the world. So eating fish, is it means supporting this social injustice. So I would say don't eat fish. And if somebody still feels the need to do it, the one method that will have the less bycatch and the less harm on the environment will be spearfishing. If, if you have to, if you have to still eat it, which I haven't in 17 years, I haven't eaten fish. And we should point out, so you said you haven't eaten fish in 17 years, but you're, you're also, you don't eat any animal products. Am I right in saying no? How long have you been vegan? Maybe like eight years. I did have to stop for a couple of years because working in these ships and being vegetarian was already incredibly hard. To be vegan was impossible. But I would say overall eight years, maybe, maybe nine years as a vegan and stopped eating meat and fish when I was 15 years old. And we should point out, like whilst we focus a lot of the conversation on your experience as a on those salmon farms, you're actually you're you actually are a free diver, and I'm not saying you actually do a free diving courses or provide in Sydney as well. We haven't talked about this. Yeah, well, I teach free diving. I um I teach people all that they need to do uh, the, all that they need to learn in order to get underwater and feel comfortable, be able to have interactions uh, with different sea animals that we see over here. We are very lucky that in Sydney we have a lot of species to see. There is um, a few of them who that are sharks. It's very common to go and free dive with uh, grey north sharks and some beautiful animals. There is plenty of turtles as well, seahorses, you name it. Sydney has it. And um, yeah, I, I teach people how to free dive and, and appreciate this, this part of the ocean because as you said before, outside our mind, we need more people getting into the ocean, seeing what's there and developing appreciation for sea life in a way that is different than just pleasing the palate. You know, you can be very, very pleased to meet up and have an interaction with a fish or an octopus or a crab even. You can, the more you stay down there, you get to um, learn their behaviors. And sometimes you can recognize personality traits and you can see this fish is angry, this fish is aggressive, this fish is is pleased with me, it's relaxed, I can get a bit closer. All these things I think is, is very necessary for more people to get in the ocean because when it comes to the environment, it's much more important what happens underwater than what happens on about the surface. I feel as though that we're going to have to come back and talk to you more about the, your experiences underwater in Sydney, in Sydney, Latara. But if people want to get in contact with you, I'm, I'm saying the best approach is just on via Instagram, and I'll include a link to your account in the show notes. Uh, yeah, sweet. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Then people can find you. Cool. So it's Lataro Pada, and I'll, I'll pronounce that terribly again. But look, this has been, Jeremy, this has been a mind-blowing <laughs> chat. 
Yeah, it, it certainly has. And um, and I, I really thank you for coming on and, and, and sharing this, Lorato. I mean, it, yeah, look, I, I'm buzzing with, with questions and, and, and we will find or we'll try and get answers to, to what's happening. But, mate, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, telling us your story. Darling, anytime. <laughs> any questions you have or any questions anyone else can have, uh, I'll be happy to answer them on Instagram. Yeah, cool. Thanks again, Lotaro. That's this has been amazing. Yeah, I hope the Chilean government don't get you first. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.